All right, happy Monday, 246 days until you, the ultimate jury, get to know and decide and shock the world once again. Once again. And that means, yeah, we can now project Donald J. Trump has been reelected 45th president of the United States. All right, a couple of things. It looks like, all right, Klobuchar is out. Buddha Judge is out. Everybody's out except uh, Steyer is out. Uh, now we're down to three. You've got the communist that praises every maniacal communist dictatorship, uh, murdering dictatorship, Castro, Daniel Ortega, Venezuela, honeymoons in the former Soviet Union. You got, you know, radical, insane Bernie Sanders that wants, let's see, a 77 percent death tax. He wants taxes raised into the 55 percent range, which means, oh, you basically get nothing if you have a state income tax, property taxes, sales taxes. Forget it. Uh, And then when you die, a 77 percent other bite at the apple, a wealth tax before that legalizing, stealing, nationalizing industry, the healthcare industry and nationalizing energy and lifeblood of our world economy industry. And it's over. That's what you got. Then you got, let's see, you got farmer mini Mike Bloomberg. You need a lot more gray matter to do what real work in life. These farmers don't have a lot of gray matter. I mean, beyond insulting, beyond out of touch. Then you got racist Mike. Oh, we put all, we only arrest minority kids for marijuana. We throw, we throw them up against the wall. You know, you just take one description, you Xerox it, you print it out, you Xerox it, you send it to every cop. It's virtually every city, not just New York City, one M.O., uh, minorities, 16 to 25. We put only cops, all cops in minority neighborhoods. We only arrest minorities, and we do so because that's where all the crime is. Okay, good luck with the minority community. You had people in the church in Alabama turning their back to uh, Minnie Mike the Farmer Bloomberg this weekend, so we got him. And then you've got... Joe Biden. All right, Joe Biden, quid pro quo Joe. I mean, this guy has made more, more, this, he is scaring me, to be very honest. I mean, I've never seen anybody that out of touch that's losing it this publicly, this quickly. So we'll get to all of that today in the course of the program. But I want to say something here, and I want you to really understand, because this is very important. I've never watched and witnessed anything quite to the level of of rage, hate, Trump derangement syndrome, psychosis as it's it is now. And they have they have done everything to destroy Donald Trump. They can't beat him at the ballot box. They have they have never accepted the results of the election in November of 2016. And we have watched the Russia hoax. We've watched the Trump-Russia conspiracy theories advanced every second minute hour of every day. We had four investigations, no evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion, simultaneously taking on breathtaking hypocrisy and law-breaking to get there, including Hillary and her secret server with top-secret classified information that would have put any of us in jail, including real obstruction of justice with the... You know, deletion of subpoenaed emails and the bleach pit and the hammers and the SIM cards removed, ignoring real Russian interference. So bought and paid for dirty, not only unverifiable, now debunked Russian dossier. Hillary Clinton pays for with funneled money to a law firm, to an op research firm, to a foreign national. And then that unverifiable, now debunked Russian lies leaked to the media to impact the 2016 race. 
that it's used as the fundamental basis of a, quote, verified. It says verified at the top of FISA application. And it's used there to not only take away the civil liberties, constitutional rights of one Carter page, but also spy on an opposing presidential candidate. And then his transition team and then his presidency. And then you've, you're going to you're going to absorb more hypocrisy when you ignore quid and pro and quo and Joe. You're not getting a billion. I should fire the prosecutor investigating my zero experienced son who's being paid millions. Have to ignore that. You have to ignore you care about foreign election interference. You have to ignore the January 11, 2017 Politico investigative report that takes 22 minutes to read about Alexandra Chalupa, a DNC contractor working in conjunction with the DNC and the Hillary campaign, colluding with Ukraine to get dirt on Trump and associates, which that article concludes they did, as did a Ukrainian court. You have to do that. Now you have to believe that Donald Trump wants Americans to die and did not act at all when it comes to the coronavirus when just the opposite is true. They don't care about truth. We've never had anything like this where they're weaponizing a virus for political gain. And I'll tell you, there's a a certain natural fear that people have as it relates to any virus. Anecdotally, in church this weekend, pastors are saying to people, you know, when you show each other the sign of peace, you don't have to shake hands. When you take the Eucharist, you don't have to drink the wine. You can just dip the Eucharist in the wine. Uh, my, My daughter and her friends were asking me a million questions about coronavirus this weekend. There, there is there's only one country, and that is the United States of America that is ranked number one in pandemic preparedness of all countries on the planet. Only one. That would be us. Second, we have 83.5 out of 100 scale measuring the strongest measures in place. UK, they come in second, 77.9. The Netherlands, 75.6. China, they came in 51st with a score of 48.2. They're not ready at all. And that needs to be pointed out to the American people. The timeline of all of this matters, and it matters dramatically because what the Democrats are trying to sell the American people is just another bunch of lies. Now, I'll give you the timeline. If you look at the American Journal Clinical Pathology, happens to be December 30th, 2019. All right, that's just last year. December, quote, scientists in China, a cluster of patients with a pneumonia of unknown backgrounds was observed in the Wuhan province section of China, reported to the World Health Organization. And a week later, January 7th, 2020, a new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, isolated from those patients. That's January 7th. Now, we suspect that the Chinese government were not being honest and forthright from the beginning, but we did send in our experts very early on, and I've got numbers to back all of that up. What we do know, though, is three weeks later, Donald J. Trump, your president, declared a public health emergency and began doing something that hasn't been done in decades, and that's restricting U.S. access to non-citizens from China. Now, For Americans flying back from Wuhan and other areas of China, yeah, they were allowed back in America. We want our citizens back home and safe. They were quarantined 
on U.S. military bases for two weeks so that you want to know why this didn't spread to the levels that we see it spreading in other parts of the world? Because the president acted in record time, record time. Now, you don't believe me? Let's go back. So far, facts matter. Truth matters. And I know people are panicked. I know people that, that the panic is they're trying to use people's natural fear of a virus to for political benefit. We've got 80 plus thousand people infected worldwide. Less than 3,000 fatalities, 3,000 too many as far as I'm concerned, 98% of which have been in China. We now have five in Washington State, six altogether, I think is the the latest numbers we have in the U.S. But if you look back at the swine flu pandemic, for example, Joe Biden is saying, well, I would have done this differently, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, they had a chance because we lost 12,000 people in America in 2009 and 10. He was the vice president. Most, most of us were alive. The global death toll was well over 500,000 people. That was in the Obama-Biden years. And anyone out there remembers the media going bonkers over swine flu? When 1,000 people had died, 5,000 people had died, 10,000 people? No, you don't remember that, do you? Because they weren't bludgeoning Biden and Obama. Now, by the way, it gets even worse than that. It killed 12,000 Americans in 20, 2009 and 2010. According to the CDC, as recently as 2018, 167 Americans died from West Nile. In 2012, the death rate from West Nile hit an all-time high, 286 fatalities. The combined death toll from West Nile, 2002 and three, well over 500 people. Uh, with corona in the United States, again, this president acted. I'll even go back and quote fake news CNN. I think every once in a while they actually get something right because they're reporting on the people whose political ideology they support. That's Biden, Obama. And it goes on. The 2009 pandemic continues to evolve since. And it says, by the way, Obama declared the emergency in October 2009. Now, to be fair, his health and human services secretary uh, did so earlier on, but Obama didn't declare an emergency himself, national emergency since 2009. And since the H1N1 flu pandemic began in April, millions of people in the U.S. have been effect- infected. At least 20,000 people have been hospitalized. More than 1,000 people have died. According to Dr. Thomas Frieden, Director for Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Oh, hang on a second. That's... That's that we they, we're not treating it the same way because of course not because that's what they do this is they are weaponizing a virus because Russia didn't work the Mueller report didn't work Ukrainian lies didn't work their candidates are pathetically weak they want to win an election and if it means scaring the hell out of people and attacking the president now I've got a lot more to point out here as it relates to this now when the president reacted again it was confirmed corona was confirmed january 7th well the president on january 31st australia singapore instituted travel limits the next day it was donald j trump that implemented the travel ban and the quarantine and the checking of people what did that do it prevented widespread a much wider spreading of this virus february 2nd the state department issued a level four do not travel, ban an advisory. And by the way, that is now since extended to Iran, Italy, and South Korea. 
Now, what were the Democrats doing at the time? Now, when the president implemented his travel ban, Joe Biden claimed that Donald Trump was xenophobic. This is no time for Trump's record of hysteria xenophobia. Well, the travel ban prevented the spread of the virus, something he didn't do with H1N1. CNN fake news ran a story about the U.S. coronavirus travel ban could backfire and have the effect of, quote, stigmatizing countries and ethnicities. Now, the Washington Post, they were out there hoping that the coronavirus could become Trump's uh, Katrina. Now we even have, you know, them when Trump appointed Mike Pence, of course, he doesn't believe in science, according to AOC. But what were the Democrats doing around this time? Well, Nancy Pelosi on December 5th began the effort to impeach the president. The first reported cases of Corona were revealed December 30th or 31st, 2019. Uh, It was January 7th when the president put his travel ban into effect. And January 31st, the president declared the coronavirus a public health emergency. Friday, the 31st, the significant global situation is continuing to evolve, CDC said. Anthony Fauci, Friday the 31st, a lot of unknowns, etc. What were the Democrats doing? Were they looking for solutions? No, they didn't vote on the final articles of impeachment until February 5th. They weren't doing a thing about it, except calling the president xenophobic, talking about stigmatizing countries and ethnicities, hoping in the mob and the media that this could become Trump's Katrina, or last week the New York Times declaring, well, this is the Trump virus, and if you don't feel good, uh, you know who to blame. Wow, what a, what a difference in coverage. This is how sick they have all gotten. We have a lot more to explain about Corona. We have, I've been doing a deep dive all weekend and comparing it to how Biden-Obama dealt with H1M1 because there is no comparison. Nobody's acted faster. Nobody has done more to protect the public than this president. Nobody. And he got beaten up for it. It's that sick out there that, you know, they... The president put the travel ban in effect within three weeks, which stopped the spread of this virus immediately. Biden said it was xenophobic. CNN said it will stigmatize countries and people and ethnicities. Washington Post speculating the coronavirus could be Trump's Katrina. Then we have everybody over the weekend and in the last presidential debate ripping Trump, saying it's a hoax. Washington Post, Politico. NBC, CNBC, Bill Crystal, yes, share. You got Bill Maher saying Trump will use the virus to declare martial law. The fact-checking of the AP, no, Donald Trump did not cut funding to the NIH or CDC. No president has acted faster. When they say, well, the president said that it's a hoax, the virus is a hoax, he didn't say that at all. I don't want to talk about the possibility of being able to do this well, but the idea Donald Trump several days ago did, it is a lie. Everything that they are saying, the president never said it was a hoax, said they're using it to bludgeon him as a hoax. Now the Democrats, he said, are politicizing the coronavirus, politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs. You say, how's the president doing? Uh, Not good. Not good. They have no clue. You know, one of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you on Russia, Russia. They didn't work out too well. They tried the impeachment hoax. And now they're trying to say Donald Trump said it's a hoax. This is their new hoax, he said. Because he's the one that quarantined people. He's the one that stopped people from coming into this country that with hun- countries that had high incidence of it. 
All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of the program. The amount of lying that goes on in the mob and the media is so disgraceful. And and the Democrats, the, the politicizing, the weaponizing, you know, of this virus to bludgeon the president when he's done more, more quickly than anybody in modern history to prevent the spread of the virus. You know, the, the, the latest talking point is Joe Biden, Bloomberg and WAPO and Politico and NBC and CNBC and Billy Crystal, the Democrat and and Cher and everybody else. Donald Trump said that the, the virus is a hoax. There really isn't a hoax. It's not what he said. He said, he said, quote, now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. They're politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs. You say, well, how's the president doing? They go, oh, not good. He said they have no clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. They can't count their votes. He said one of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you with Russia, Russia, Russia. That didn't work out well. They couldn't do it. Four separate investigations later, they couldn't do it. Uh, they couldn't. Then they tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a, a perfect conversation. Then we have quid pro quo Joe, of course, breathtaking hypocrisy. They tried everything and anything over and over. But you've been doing it since you got in. It's all turning. They lost. You know, think of it. This is like their new hoax. Oh, we're going to say that the president, uh, he's calling the virus a hoax. No, he's not. Bill Maher, he's going to declare martial law. No, he's not. It's unbelievable. You know, they don't care. He's cut spending for the NIH and CDC. Nope, that's not true either. Even the AP fact checkers figured it out. I mean, you know, then you got guys like New York Times Krugman. Ah, Dow, 25,000. It's like they're hoping Americans die and get sick and that we all lose a fortune in the stock market because of the jittery stock market. By the way, stocks are up nearly 900 points today. My Wall Street friends told me there was going to be a quick recovery, and they were right. You know, if we use their same logic, by the way, do we now get to say sanctuary states and sanctuary cities that free violent criminals that go out and commit more violent acts? Is there blood on their hands? Those that won't secure the border, we have 300 Americans dying every week. 90% of heroin crosses that southern border. Are they responsible? Or the fentanyl? Because they won't solve the problem? The timeline could not be any more clear than what we have here. And that is, we now have December 30th as the date when scientists in China and the World Health Organization... Uh, they find this pneumonia cluster of patients in the Wuhan province of China. And a week later, on January 7th, 2020, they identify the coronavirus, January 7th. And then on January 31st, Donald Trump declared the coronavirus a public health emergency, ordered U.S. citizens returning from where the outbreak was in China to be quarantined for two weeks in a military base, declares coronavirus a public health emergency, did it within three weeks, ordering quarantining. And then even more importantly, this thing breaks out. The president then implemented his travel ban, and that was denying access to the U.S. for non-citizens from China. China, by the way, was not happy with Donald J. Trump. As a matter of fact, at the time, I think they actually said that they called the ban of the president racist. Sorry. Now, the president, we now know, had been sending our doctors and offering all the help that he possibly could. 
Now, if you want to look at the actual timeline, well, let's what were the Democrats doing? Well, they started December 5th with Pelosi's announcement to proceed with articles of impeachment. Now, the day after December 30th, the first reported case of coronavirus, that's when we finally identified corona, December 30th, 2019. Friday, January 31st, the Trump administration declared it a public health emergency, ordering U.S. citizens returning from those areas where there's an outbreak in China uh, to be quarantined in military places for two weeks, declaring coronavirus a public health emergency. By the way, I mean, a significant global situation that was evolving. Uh, then if you look at what well, the Democrats, what are they doing next? Oh, they were in the middle of impeaching the president. They weren't dealing with the coronavirus. So, yeah, there's a huge overlap. They, they were paralyzing the country with their latest attempt to destroy Trump. And the Trump administration was doing their job. And, you know, then well, what about the Democrats? When did they weigh in? They didn't weigh in until much later. Now, one of the, the, you know, facts are really hard things for Democrats to deal with. Because when the president put his travel ban into effect... And that was January 31st and called it, a, you know, declared the emergency. Well, Biden called it xenophobic. CNN said he was stigmatizing countries with ethnic with uh, from countries and ethnicities. China was saying it was a, a racist ban. Washington Post hoping it was his Katrina. And he announces, you know, by the way, other countries have been added. Iran, Italy, South Korea, that's all been added to the ban list. Schumer saying you know, to the New York Post, this is not political. Our proposal was put together after hearing. He didn't put anything together. That wasn't until much later. But he was still criticizing the president. January 26th, Schumer proposed the U.S. should declare a public health emergency. Doctors need to be educated on the virus. Well, that's what Donald Trump did. And he put in place the travel ban. But they were more focused on impeachment. Citizens arriving from China have all been subject to health screenings since then. Americans arriving from China. CDC has been, you know how many people's lives are likely saved? Now we can, we actually have the ability to go back and do some real research. And if you look at, for example, and those, instead of those that want to call it the Trump virus. All right, so we identify this thing first shows up December 30th, World Health Organization. A week later, you know, they now identify coronavirus. Three weeks after that, the president declares the tra travel ban. Now, if you want to compare it, let's go back to the Biden-Obama administration. It was April of 2009 when H1N1 became a pandemic. It wasn't until six months later. Now, I'll concede 11 days after that, the health and human services of the, their administration said it was emergency. But it wasn't until six months later when Obama declared a public health emergency but at that point, it was already a pandemic. By the time Obama, Biden did it, we literally had millions of Americans infected and over a thousand people had died inside the U.S. This is in 2009. CNN reported the H1N1 flu pandemic began in April. Millions of people in the United States have been infected, at least 20,000 hospitalized and more than a thousand have died. Dr. Thomas Frieden, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. We're nowhere near where we thought we'd be, he said, acknowledging manufacturing delays, contributing to less vaccine being available than expected. Now, we tend to forget these things, but facts matter. Truth matters. 
you know, you go back to fake news CNN because it wasn't Trump. They weren't trying to bludgeon Obama and Biden. 2009 H1N1 pandemic continues to evolve. The rates of illness continue to rise rapidly. Many communities across this nation and potential exists for the pandemic to overburden healthcare resources, localities. This is six months in. They're finally beginning to realize a thousand Americans are dead. Did you, do you, any of you recall the same amount of breathless reporting? Because I don't, and I do this every day. Now, if you want some perspective, we're here to give you that perspective. We don't want anybody sick. I don't want anybody sick. I hope we can cure cancer and heart disease one day, and I think we, ultimately we will. But we have 80-plus thousand infected worldwide. 98% of the 3,000 fatalities have been in China. The infection numbers, yeah, we, we're now up to six deaths in the United States, but nowhere near the number of people infected had we not had the Trump travel ban put in place almost immediately. If you look at the swine flu pandemic, the outbreak starts in 2009. That was April. They declared the national emergency in October. It lasted through 2010. Over 12,000 Americans died. 12,000 right here in America. The global death toll was over 500,000. Many of us were alive in 2010. Anybody out there that remembers the media going nuts when the swine flu body count hit 1,000 or 5,000 or 10,000? I don't. Of course not, because the swine flu outbreak was not newsworthy. They weren't trying to bludgeon the Obama-Biden administrations. Swine flu, remember that? 12,000 Americans died. First outbreak in America, uh, if you want to go back, the West Nile virus killed over 2,000. CDC, as recently as 2018, 167 Americans died from West Nile. As recently as 2018, 2012, the U.S. death rate from West Nile hit a high of 286 fatalities. The combined death toll, West Nile, 2002 and 3, well over 500 people, 548 to be exact. According to CDC, 1998, I'm sorry, 1999 to 2018, West Nile killed 2,330 Americans. Nowhere near corona. This president put a travel ban in place and was called xenophobic and racist. You know, so if you look at, you know, what the truth is, and the preparedness, you see a very different story emerging. And then the lying, when, when are they ever going to take responsibility for the swine flu deaths? Why did they act so slowly? Why the double standard in the media? Why are we always at the same point? Donald Trump, if the dog bites, the bees things, you're feeling sad, they hate him. Nobody ever acted faster with more resolve, taking more incoming than Donald Trump, period. The travel restriction ban began January 31st. We didn't identify Corona till January 7th. Xenophobic, Joe Biden said. Stigmatizing countries and ethnicities, fake news CNN said. Now we've got people wanting to call it the Trump virus. This is how sick they all are. This is, this is beyond sick. But this is why you get to declare, you know, you get to be the final jury in all of this. You, you get to be the final jury here. By the way, last week, major court ruling vindicated Trump on impeachment and uh, historic ruling that Don McGahn, White House counsel, would not have to be required to answer a congressional subpoena. I'm sure that applies to, uh, let's see, John Bolton. But it doesn't matter. They want to bludgeon this president. Now, by the way, we have the greatest capacity of any country on the face of this earth. 
United States named the country with the strongest measures in place in terms of the country's best able and prepared to deal with any epidemic. Of course, we have to take it seriously. And I think probably the likelihood, the only reason Israel is ahead of everybody is because Israel has been working on a variation of the coronavirus ahead of time. That's the only difference. He cut funding for NIH. No, he didn't. CDC cut. No, he didn't. Didn't happen. I mean, it's uh, unbelievable to me. But this is how they they want to politicize everything. So anyway, uh, it will be a big issue in the campaign. We have our medical experts coming up later in the show. Dr. Spiegel, we are one day away from Super Tuesday and we're Uh, now down to three. Breaking news. Do you know who knows what day tomorrow is? No. Not Joe Biden. Look, tomorrow is Super Tuesday. And I want to thank you all. That literally just happened. I tell you what, I'm rushing ahead, aren't I? Yeah. He He called Chris Wallace Chuck over the weekend. It's oh, priceless. Oh it's a gift that keeps on giving. Steyer's out. Buttigieg out. Klobuchar's out. So now we're down to the communist that praises murdering regimes. Then we have Mini Mike the farmer that thinks farmers are dumb and need more gray matter. And then, of course, uh, Mini Mike says uh, his health care plan is go home and die. We don't have the money for you. Then, of course, he's got uh, his race issues. We got that. And then you got Joe Biden. Listen, Joe Biden, this is getting scary. Says he's running for Senate. He said that his late son was a U.S. attorney general. He was not. He says Bolivia borders. No, no, no. I don't have time. His his Bolivia borders Venezuela. It does not. He mixes up states all the time. Ohio. He's in Iowa. And he says he's in Ohio. He claims to have, uh, you know, gone to one college, a historically black college. He did not. He couldn't remember the name of Merrick Garland. He said he was vice president during the Parkland massacre. We choose truth over facts. Poor kids are just as smart as white kids. I'll put y'all back in chains. And the Margaret Thatcher. Remember that gaffe? About Margaret Thatcher? Yeah, that was a mistake, too. Margaret Thatcher was long gone. Oh, stand up, Chuck. And on top of, you know, here you got Obama. I mean, main first, the first sort of mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean. He's actually a nice looking guy. Storybook, man. Can't go to a Dunkin' Donuts 7-Eleven without a slight Indian accent. Says there are at least three genders. Misses the locations of back-to-back shootings. Refers to Michigan and Houston when it was Dayton and El Paso. Touts his relationship with the segregationists. I'm like, wow. Confuses New Hampshire for Vermont. He makes up an entire war story. Confuses Iraq and Afghanistan. Says, you know, this is bad. This is really bad. And you want one get Joe three oh three three oh three oh two three three oh two. That's pretty bad stuff. They got Mini Mike the farmer, the guy that wants you to go home and die is his health care plan on tape, who says we only put police in black neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods, throw them up against the wall. We only arrest minorities for marijuana because well that's where all the cops are, not so all of them, because that's where all the crime is. Wow. And he's got his harassment issues. And you got the communist. They're all communists in some way. You have a lot to decide in 246 days. So do you believe Bernie Sanders would lead the Democratic Party to a big loss? I do. I think Bernie Sanders' position on a number of the issues, even the Democratic Party, are going to be very, are, are very controversial. The idea that you're going to find $60 billion and not going to raise a tr- trillion dollars, I should say, 
not going to have to raise taxes on middle class people. The idea that, uh, you know, we're talking about immigration. I mean, if Bernie had voted for the uh, if we had passed the immigration bill that that I I voted for and Teddy Kennedy others voted for about 10 years ago, we'd already have six million people who were undocumented American citizens. I mean, so there's a lot of talk. We're getting down now. Everybody's going to look at Bernie's record as closely as they've looked at mine over the last five months. And I think they're going to see some stark differences in where we stand. I want people to see me standing next to him and him standing next to me. (laughs) We'll see who's sleepy. (laughs) Mr. Vice President, thank you. Thanks for your time. Please come back in less than 13 years, sir. All right, Chuck. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Uh, it's Chris, I mean, but anyway. Chris, I just did Chris. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just did Chuck. I tell you what, man, these are back-to-back. Anyway, no, it's I don't okay. know how you do it early in the morning, too. Sa- safe, tra- you, safe travels on Appreciate the campaign it. trail. Thank you, sir. By the way, how many of you did really well with that $1.9 trillion tax cut that increased? Really in good shape, right? Really changed your... Well, you did. Well, that's good. You must, I'm glad to see you're doing well already. And I'm good, but... Guess what? If you elect me, you're not going to have your, your taxes are going to be raised, not cut, if, you're, if you benefit from that. After a year of going everywhere, meeting everyone, defying every expectation, seeking every vote, the truth is that the path has narrowed to a close for our candidacy, if not for our cause. And another of those values is responsibility. And we have a responsibility to consider the effect of remaining in this race any further. Our goal has always been to help unify Americans to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for our values. And so we must recognize that at this point in the race, the best way to keep faith with those goals and ideals is to step aside and help bring our party and our country together. So tonight, I am making the difficult decision to suspend my campaign for the presidency. I will no longer seek to be the 2020 Democratic nominee for president, but I will do everything in my power to ensure that we have a new Democratic president come January. All right, Hour 2, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. We are only 246 days away till the ultimate jury, you, we, the American people. So this is now what we're down to. you got Klobuchar out, you got Buttigieg out. Steyer out. Everybody's out. Now it's down to three. So you got the communist that wants to legalize stealing and confiscate everybody's wealth. And and then, of course, nationalize all these industries like the healthcare industry, the energy industry, New Green Deal. They all support some version of this madness. Then you got, let's see, farmer Mike. I can teach anyone to be a farmer. You don't need much gray matter. Who's also racist. We put all cops in minority neighborhoods. We only arrest minorities because that's where all the crime is. Uh, Good luck selling that. Uh, And a serial harasser on top of it. And then you've got Joe. Big, big, huge South Carolina win by Joe. Um, The same Joe that just called this weekend, Chris Wallace Chuck. Joe 30330 and 30232330 and... You know, you're the ones that that sent Barack Obama the presidency. I have a simple proposition here. I'm here to ask you for your help. Where I come from, you don't get very far unless you ask. My name is Joe Biden. I'm the Democratic candidate candidate for the United States Senate. This is all recently saying that his late son, Bo, was a U.S. attorney general. He was not. 
You know, he says uh, Bolivia is bordering on Venezuela. It is not. How many states is this guy mixed up? Iowa for Ohio. Uh, he claims, uh, I got started at uh, an HBCU Delaware State. I don't want to hear anything negative about Delaware State here. They're my folks. Said it at a South Carolina town hall, claiming that to have started out at Delaware State University, a historically black college in his home state, as opposed to the University of Delaware, where he actually went to school. This is all recent. He forgets the name of Merrick Garland. This is all recently. He says he was vice president during the, the Parkland massacre. He wasn't. You know, we choose truth over facts. That guy. You know, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. We're going to put you all back in chains. Remember that? I mean, stand up, Chuck. I mean, there are at least three genders, Biden. He, you know, back-to-back shootings. He refers Michigan and Houston. No, that would be Dayton and El Paso. Um, he confuses New Hampshire for Vermont. I mean, I can keep going on. That's that's those are the three. That's the option in 246 days. Anyway, our pollsters are back. Um, John McLaughlin, pollster, strategist, syndicate and columnist, Matt Towery here. And on top of that, it was Joe Biden. You know, no, it's xenophobic when the president took the bold position to close off the borders to people coming into this country from China back in January. He was out there saying, well, that's xenophobic. CNN was saying it was stigmatizing countries and ethnicities as it relates to uh, this coronavirus. Anyway, uh, Matt Towery, John McLaughlin, thank you. Matt, uh, what do you think of South Carolina? We'll know a lot more after tomorrow night. Well, it wasn't unexpected, and it it did provide him, uh, Biden, a, a shot in the arm in the South. I mean, I the way I th- see things going, uh, you know, I think Biden will do well in Alabama, Virginia, Tennessee, places like that. It seems to be his base right now. Uh, but Sanders is going to pick up the big ones like California and Texas, Colorado, uh, Maine, Vermont, uh, Utah probably is his. So I think what you're going to see tomorrow night is going to be Biden picking up probably more states than are expected. By the way, Klobuchar got out today not really to help Biden. She's in a toss-up with Sanders up in Minnesota. She didn't want to be embarrassed if she lost to Bernie Sanders. That's my opinion of her timing. But I think Biden's emerging a little bit, but I don't think he's got enough to go all the way to the convention. Where are you on this, uh, John McLaughlin? Do you see it the same way? Well, this is huge. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks, if not months, that there was going to be this big showdown between the socialists and the uh, uh, mainstream liberals, because none of them are in the center. They're all left wing. But tomorrow you get 1,357 delegates are going to be picked, and you only need 1,991 to win on the Democrat side. And you've got two big prizes that Matt, Matt mentioned, California 415 and Texas with 228 delegates. And Sanders is ahead in both states. And you've got Sanders, the polls at the end of last week, Sanders was ahead in nine out of the 14 states. Now, Bloomberg had slight leads in three of the states, Virginia and Oklahoma and, uh, and Florida. Arkansas. I think, yeah. Well, well Florida's, Florida's not coming not out, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, but, but I think Bloomberg's been terrible. He's, he's three minutes last night, a disaster. And, and when you look at that, so he's collapsing. Biden's picking up the African-American vote. The Latino vote in California, because Sanders did well with Nevada, with Latinos in Nevada. 
so he that's why he's doing well in, in uh, California and Colorado and, and uh, Texas. So you got this huge fight that's coming off tomorrow. And you know who, I mean, I've been saying to people the big winner in this is going to be President Trump, but I'll tell you, you know who else the big winner is? I want you to guess. Who's the big winner tomorrow? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting breathlessly. Hunter, Hunter Biden. Because Hunter Biden's going to get a lot more contracts now <laughs> if Joe Biden becomes the nominee. So, All right, you got. I, I, I wouldn't have picked Hunter. Zero experience. Hunter was already a multi multi millionaire with no experience. But uh, and by the way, nobody's paying attention. But Ukraine has now opened up right. an official criminal investigation, and I sense my sense is it's real. So we'll know a lot more tomorrow. But now the question is: Look at the strategy, Matt Towery, of even Elizabeth Warren is saying it. She wants a brokered convention. And I, the mumbling and bumbling that's been going on among the Democrats is, oh, we can't have Bernie, and maybe we'll bring in Michelle Obama or Hillary to save the day. Is that a, a possibility? You know, if it is, it, it is a possibility. But what would happen is they would lose a certain percent of dedicated Bernie Sanders voters forever. They would not turn out to vote. As much as they don't like President Trump, they would sit this race out. This, they feel like this is their year to win they feel like they've been winning, and that if they see that there's some sort of last-minute sort of um, behind-the-scenes deal being worked up to run someone who's from, quote, the middle of the party, their middle of the party, or an establishment candidate over Bernie, this will be a complete civil war within the Democratic Party, and you will not see the voter turnout on the Bernie Sanders side that they need to win in the fall. You see, I think this is now the second time they've done this. Um, does Bernie – look, Bloomberg is going to throw money at this race regardless, but – Bloomberg doesn't seem to really have a path. And I think after tomorrow, it'll be even more clear that he probably doesn't have a path. But he doesn't sound like he's getting it out, getting out either. He sounds like he wants to come in with all the money at the convention and throw it at everybody. I mean, up there on the debate stage, basically saying, oh, I bought the 2018 House of Representatives. And he's got a strong anti-gun agenda. He's a radical in terms of uh, illegal immigration. His health care plan is, oh, uh, well, just go home and die because we can't afford to pay for it, John McLaughlin. Well, you can bet there's a lot of pressure on Bloomberg right now to get out because you can see the whole Democratic establishment and the media establishment is trying to push all the support to Biden. I mean, Klobuchar getting out is ridiculous because in Minnesota, with her out, Sanders is going to win that state. And Bloomberg, what, what's going to happen to Bloomberg is he's going to get embarrassed by the former socialist mayor of Burlington, Vermont, is going to beat the former mayor of New York tomorrow. So Bloomberg's probably under a lot of pressure right now to get out and back and back Biden because the Democrat establishment. But his is ego is so massive. I mean, if you watch him on the debate stage, it was almost reminiscent of George Herbert Walker Bush in the in the push for the second term and, and with Bill Clinton looking at his watch, thinking he's this is beneath him uh, to be up on that stage instead of seeing it as an honor. He doesn't want to be asked any tough questions. I guess he's doing a town hall on Fox tonight, but there's, you know, his record is what it is. He thinks so highly of those farmers that lack gray matter. Uh, so that is him. He's got a racist past that that's not going to help him with the Democratic Party base. Uh, a serial harasser and his health care prescription, Matt Tarries, go home and die. Well, Sean, I, I will say this. He is the worst candidate I have seen in many, many decades, at least a major candidate. And it's amazing to see how he's fallen apart. I mean, he has thrown money around this country left and right. And yet he, he, he may end up doing OK in Arkansas and Oklahoma tomorrow. We're going to look. Those are a couple of states where he might actually end up in the lead. But they're going to be 
small potatoes for a guy who was mayor of New York and he thinks he's such a, a big player. He, he's going to collapse. There's no doubt about it. And so is it likely now it's Biden and Sanders? Do either one of them get the necessary delegates to get the nomination outright? All right, as we continue with our pollsters heading into Super Tuesday tomorrow, only 246 days till the American people become the ultimate jury. Uh, Matt Towery and John McLaughlin. Do you think, John McLaughlin, that either Bernie Sanders or assuming Joe Biden have enough delegates to win this nomination outright? Or is there going to be a fight? And if there's a fight, how does that emerge? I, th- I think that one of them is going to get uh, the, the delegate count. And tomorrow is critical because if Sanders maintains his momentum that all of a sudden he's two or three hundred delegates over biden he's on his way because march 17th you've got big states like illinois and ohio and uh um and also you have uh, uh arizona and florida now florida is a place where he could get stopped but after that you're coming into like april tw- uh april 28th you have uh new york and you have pennsylvania and it could go that long but right now, the whole Democratic establishment is in a panic because what they're afraid of, the bottom line on this is, they're afraid that Donald Trump, whether it's Biden or whether it's Sanders, they get reelected. And Sanders can beat Biden on his message of corporate greed going right at Hunter Biden. You agree with that assessment? And do you see any scenario under which Hillary or Michelle Obama get brought in, Matt Towery? I don't see that scenario, and here's the reason. Because, and I agree with the analysis John has. I think Sanders is most likely to emerge between the two, but but it, it could be close. When you get um, two individuals like this who've been invested in this campaign for years, they are not going to step aside at that convention for some other name. And I don't believe that the delegates who are uh, pledged to them are going to allow that to happen. So, in my opinion, you're not going to have a broker convention in the sense that you have some third party swoop in and suddenly, who hasn't been doing a, a single thing in the last year and a half, uh, swoop in and suddenly become the nominee for president. I, I don't, knowing politics, having been one at one time in office as well, I know how politicians think. They will not let that happen. So will the person that has the most delegates get it? That's the, that's the next question, John. I believe so. I believe because it's very hard to stop the momentum. We saw it four years ago when we were in the Trump campaign, and as the, as the president kept racking up delegates, uh, we had the momentum, and we won it in Indiana. When we won Indiana, we secured it. And even though they, the insiders were still trying to take it away, they could not because the people spoke. And the people in the Democrat Party are speaking. Well, that's where Manafort, I think, worked his magic for the president for that period of time that he worked with him. Uh, all right. Matt Towery, uh, John McLaughlin, our posters. We'll know a lot more after tomorrow, and it should be very interesting. 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Millennials, where are they going to vote uh, now that they have the lowest unemployment, record low unemployment, youth unemployment, African-American youth unemployment? Demographically, where is this headed? We'll check in with Charlie Kirk, then our... A medical team will weigh in on the coronavirus and the president's handling of it and the Democrats politicizing of it as we continue this Monday edition of The Sean Hannity Show. And under the so-called Trump economy, we are actually achieving the progress, hope and change that liberals have been falsely promising for decades, but utterly failed to deliver or produce. And it's really driving them crazy. That's why we'll probably end up with crazy Bernie. Crazy Bernie. He's crazy. We got some beauties. We got Sleepy Joe. We got Crazy Bernie. We got Mini Mike, but I think he's out of it. I would like to spend $700 million and end up with nothing. Mini Mike. I know him well. I knew that was going to happen. That was probably the worst debate performance in the history of presidential debates. Do we agree? Has there ever been anything like that? 
But he's going to keep spending the money. I think this weekend he's going to I hear his ad stop on Tuesday. He's going for Tuesday. He's going to spend a lot of money. It just shows you that you can't buy an election. I mean, it just is a point at which people say, you got to bring the goods a little bit, too. You got to bring the goods. Boy, did Pocahontas destroy him, I'll tell you. And look what I did to her. She choked, you know, she went out and got a test because I was killing her with a Pocahontas. Remember, I said, I have more Indian blood in me than she does, and I have none. Right? I said it. I said it. Love to have some, but I have none. And she was getting hit with that name, Pocahontas. That was one of the good ones. And they said, we want you to apologize for that name. And I did. I apologized. Nobody ever heard me apologize before. I apologized to the real Pocahontas. I apologize. <laughs> but she went out and she said, oh, this guy's killing me. Remember, she was dropping like a rock. But I learned something. Never do it too early. Too, a year and a half before the election. I said, what am I doing? I should have saved it. But that's all right. Because she had those burning embers, and then she started, but ultimately she failed. She's gone, so. But uh, she was really mean to Minnie Mike, I'll tell you, the way she treated him. He didn't know what hit him. He's going, oh, get me off of this stage. Get me off. Get me off of this stage. My job is to make sure that we're secure and to defend our country first, our country. Today, the United States, for years they've been trying to do this, and today the United States signed a deal with the Taliban so that we can hopefully begin the immediate process of finally bringing our troops back home. Nineteen years. Nineteen years with them. Thank you. And as you know, others wanted to do it. We got it done and just signed it. And I want to just thank our military because, you know, we've been really a police force there for the last long time. And uh, we're not supposed to be a police force. We're supposed to be fighting soldiers. And we could win that war very easily if we wanted to lose, kill a million people that have nothing to do with it, that don't know anything about us. Pretty complicated deal, I have to be honest. But in exchange for the Taliban's action against al-Qaeda and other terrorists who could threaten us, we're prepared to begin those force withdrawals. And if the Taliban and the Afghan government live up to their commitments, and they may or they may not, but I think we have a lot of reason why they will. I think they will. Uh, that means that the longest war in American history by far, it's not even close, will be over. We're prepared. And I'd like to just ask and uh, caution that the media, we would respectfully ask the media and politicians and everybody else involved not do anything to incite a panic because there's no reason to panic at all. Uh, this is something that is being handled professionally. I also want to thank, by the way, uh, governors and representatives of our various states, in some cases, uh, some more than others, because they've really been working very hard uh, in areas where we've seen indication of the virus. All right, that was the president. I mean, he was on fire at CPAC uh, on Saturday as the featured speaker. He's now gone there a number of years. 
941 uh, Sean, if you want to be a part of the program. All right, I'm, I'll let you. Uh, we're going to know a lot more about how this all plays out with the Democratic Party. As I've been saying, it's, you know, you can sum it up this way. You've got an avowed communist that praises and heaps praise on every insane, murdering, dictatorial regime that wants to literally take over every industry and confiscate all wealth. I mean, you imagine 77 percent. First, he wants his wealth tax. First, he wants to raise taxes more to insane rates, 55, 60 cents of every dollar. Then he wants a wealth tax if you had saved money in the past. Then he wants when you die a 77 percent uh, death tax. Now, if you're in New York, that's 87. That's 90 percent by the time you pay New York City and you pay New York State. That's 90 cents of every dollar you were dumb enough to save and not spend that they didn't already steal. Uh, then we've got, let's see, the, the gray matter farmer Mike, uh, mini Mike Bloomberg out there and his racist comments. Good luck winning with that as part of the Democratic coalition and, and base. Uh, this is, you know, serial harasser. And this is a guy that's saying, no, we can't afford the health care for older people. Go home and die. You've outlived your usefulness. Uh, add to that. Let's see. Then we've got Joe Biden, who's nuts. We're going to know a lot more by the end of tomorrow night. It's going to get interesting. Uh, I've given all the facts I can on this, the, the, the bludgeoning and politicizing of the coronavirus. No president ever in history has ever acted as swiftly as this one. Not a single one. And, you, of course, the news is bad for people that are in Seattle and Washington, uh, where a lot of flights from China end up landing, uh, where, which is where I believe a lot of that has come from. And we'll know more in the days to come. But again, within three weeks of identifying Corona, this president put in place a travel ban and was called xenophobic, racist and every other name in between. That this you go back and you make the comparisons with the Democrats. Well, when they had an opportunity, yeah, there were a thousand dead in the U.S. with the H1N1 virus back in 2009. Uh, before they ever stepped up uh, and decided to do what Donald Trump did. And that would be six months later, Obama, Biden declaring a public health emergency. Even we had a thousand deaths at that point. All right. Joining us now, Charlie Kirk, his new book, The MAGA Doctrine, the only ideas that will win the future. Uh, just out this week, I saw him on the great one, Mark Levin show last night on uh, Hannity. Uh, Mr. Kirk, how are you, sir? Great, Sean. It's a great honor to be with you. Thanks so much. So I'm a registered conservative, and as a registered conservative, I've always believed in ending burdensome regulation. No president has cut it more than Donald Trump. I've always believed in lower taxes, more freedom, more liberty for the American people. Nobody in terms of dollars has ever cut taxes as low as Donald Trump. Uh, I believe in conservative justices. Nobody's appointed more in modern time than Donald Trump. He even said who he, he would appoint to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, I never I always believed in free and fair trade. No president has ever challenged the status quo and successfully navigated new trade deals with our Western European allies and Canada and Mexico with the new deal. I guess that you could say the money that we're getting will pay for the wall. Uh, then Japan and now even China, 220 billion dollar deal that helps our farmers, our manufacturers, our auto industry, our energy sector, service sector. Nobody has kept promises like he has, including the promise to build a border wall. Now the promise to keep Americans safe and put Americans first and get called xenophobic. You say in this book, the MAGA doctrine, the only ideas that will win the future. That to me is everything I believed 
my entire 31 years on radio and my 24 years at the Fox News Channel. Because it's the only thing that works, and we see it with every demographic in the lowest unemployment levels since 1969. That, that's exactly right, Sean. And I first just want to say, uh, you know, you are the you're the drumbeat of the conservative movement. Every night, I love watching you, and you're able to really be able to defend the president in such a, a remarkable way. That's exactly right. And I, I wrote this book to try to articulate the doctrine of ideas that he's fighting for and the importance to continue the conservative movement, uh, not just up to November, which is critical, but what's the party going to look like post-Trump? And I think it should be a Trump movement, not just a Trump moment. And you said it best. We're energy independent, lowest ever black, Latino, Hispanic, Asian American, disabled unemployment, lowest ever black poverty rate, criminal justice reform, Soleimani and al-Baghdadi are dead. We got Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. It's extraordinary. It's everything that we as conservatives are passionate about. And despite a sham impeachment, them illegally spying on our president, which you've done a wonderful job uncovering uh, throughout the last couple of years. Uh, he's been, you know, he's stronger today than he even was the day he was inaugurated. And uh, I think it's very important that we as conservatives really read the playbook that President Trump is coming from, which is love of country and an admittance that over the last 20, 30 years, it seems as if the elite uh, had our country in managed decline. You see, what I find impressive about people like you and and Kaylee McEnany, and there's a group of you, and I know you founded the student organization Turning Point USA. You know, Winston Churchill once famously said, well, if you're 20 and you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. But if you're 40 and not a conservative, you don't have a brain. Um, And real life experience, I think, contributes to that evolution of thought if you agree with that but the thing is is you understand it you have all these young people seemingly buying into the false narrative the false sense of security of socialism why is that it's a great point sean and thank you for speaking to our five thousand students in december you were a huge hit and it was very generous of your time to do that right before christmas yeah um, by the way audience. next time could you open the bar before i speak because they were they had apparently been sitting there 12 hours listening to speeches by the time i got there I'm well, kidding. You Go ahead. Another two hours and they would have loved it. But it was very generous of you to do that. But look, it, students usually always kind of compose and, and comprise of a socialist movement. Uh, unfortunately, it's the universities where these bad ideas are given a platform and given credence. It's very easy to be generous to other people's money. It's very tempting to want to take other people's stuff. Uh, the message of conservatism is one of hard work, individual initiative, uh, taking responsibility for your actions. Unfortunately, you have anti-American university professors that are indoctrinating a generation to be ungrateful for one of the greatest gifts we've been given from God, which is the United States of America. And when you're not grateful for something, then why not try to start a socialist revolution within that country to tear down everything that we hold near and dear to our heart? And so every day I go to college campuses to fight back against it. You've done a wonderful job of speaking against the horrors of socialism. But your listeners have to know that socialism is not going to go away just if we beat it at the ballot box here in November. But being being uh, a conservative, to- and you've experienced this, and others have experienced this, if you're young on a college campus and you're a conservative, you are a pariah. You are you are hated. I mean, there is there is pure vitriol and hatred. Um, what has been your experience with this, and how do you deal with it? That's exactly right, Sean. And, you know, the young people sometimes say they want to be a rebel on a college campus. If you want to be a rebel on the college campus, don't wear a Bernie Sanders shirt. Wear a Make America Great Again hat. That actually might put you in physical danger against retaliation or against being punched in the face. 
or being potentially firebombed or having bear spray put in your face, all of which are things that are Turning Point USA activists have unfortunately had to endure the last couple of years. But I will tell you this, that the conservative movement on campus has never been stronger because of one person, President Donald Trump. He gives us the courage and the conviction to continue to fight. Our students see inspiration in him going up against the news media, the deep state, and he is a leader that is able to embody what it means to be a conservative in a hostile environment, which gives cultural conservatives on campus um, a lot of confidence uh, to continue to fight even when it gets very, very difficult. Well, I want to applaud you on all you're doing. Stay in touch with us. Keep sharing the tape that you guys get at Turning Point. It's great for television. It's funny as hell half the time. Uh, I know you're taking a lot of heat. Keep being courageous. Uh, we put it up on Hannity.com. It's on Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Uh, the MAGA doctrine, the only idea is that will win the future. And I got to tell you, Charlie, you know, I'm an old person. Uh, it's really about you. It's about my kids. It's about your kids one day. And if we don't get this right now, that's why 246 days from now really matters. Uh, we're going to regret it because those promises of security in exchange for your freedoms, I don't think you, I don't see a road back if you give up that much power to people that are just power hungry and ambitious and statist. Uh, Charlie Kirk, thanks so much. 800-941-SHAWN. You want to be a part of the program. Quick break. We'll come back on the other side and we'll get to more of your calls on medical experts on coronavirus coming up straight ahead. Very dishonest people. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. They're politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs, you say, House President Trump doing. They go, oh, not good, not good. They have no clue. They don't have any clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. They can't even count. They can't count their votes. One of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you on Russia, Russia, Russia. That didn't work out too well. They couldn't do it. They tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a perfect conversation. They tried anything. They tried it over and over. They've been doing it since you got in. It's all turning. They lost. It's all turning. Think of it. Think of it. And this is their new hoax. You know, the idea that Donald Trump said just several days ago this was a Democratic hoax, what in God's name is he talking about? What in God's name is he talking about? Has he no shame? We're in a situation where, and I, I, I respect Vice President Pence and his him being put in charge, but we should be hearing from the scientists. He mentions Fauci. Fauci's been there since, um, since Bush, we, all through presidents. We listened to him. He was a spokesperson. He was out in front. Let the scientists speak. Let them tell us what's going on. Let them prepare us. Let them prepare the country. Let them be the ones expanding how they're going to provide the protective gear for hospitals that are intake hospitals. And as you pointed out, uh, Jake, the fact is that, you know, the uh, uh, other nations have had thousands of tests so far. What are we doing? Why are we just why are we just getting started? I would have not dismantled the organization we had put in place in the first place. I would have made sure we had American scientists in China insisting we know what's happening in China. And I would be doing the, the same thing in Europe where it's now spread. I would have. I would have. I would have. Really? Anyway, news roundup information overload hour. 
of the Sean Hannity Show. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Well, okay, we actually have the ability to go back and fact check uh, crazy quid pro quo Joe. And what do we find? On 2009, Obama and Biden, they waited until, let's see, millions were infected and a thousand were dead in the U.S. before they declared the H1N1 emergency. Whoopsie daisy. Now, we first found out about the Trump virus, the American Journal for Clinical Pathology. If you want to know the real timeline here as it relates to coronavirus, it was on December 30th, my birthday, 2019. Scientists in China, quote, a cluster of patients with pneumonia of unknown origin observed in Wuhan, China, reported to the World Health Organization, China Bureau in Beijing, January 7th, a new coronavirus was isolated. It's January 7th. Now let's fast forward. When did Donald Trump uh, react? January 31st. Within three weeks, the president, because, you know, we know now the Chinese government was trying to keep the virus a secret. But on January 31st of this past year, I know the Democrats were in the middle of impeaching the president. They weren't focused on coronavirus. Uh, That's when the president first declared a public health emergency three weeks in and began restricting U.S. access to non-citizens from China and flights filled with U.S. citizens who were in Wuhan and that area of China were brought to America, and those people were quarantined on U.S. military bases for two weeks. And by the way, the president, yeah, guys like Joe Biden were calling Donald Trump and his band xenophobic. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria and xenophobia, according to Joe Biden. Hysterical xenophobia, fear-mongering, said Biden the day after the travel restrictions were imposed. That's when fake news CNN talked about the president stigmatizing countries and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Chinese Communist Party called the ban a racist. Washington Post said that uh, speculated the coronavirus could be Trump's Katrina. And, of course, the New York Times saying it's the Trump virus. If you're not feeling well... You know who to blame. But if you go back and you make the comparisons with Biden and Obama, well, in April of 2009, H1N1 became a pandemic. Six months later is when Obama declared a public health emergency. Six months later, by that time, the disease had infected millions of people here. Thousand people had reportedly died in the U.S. And uh, by the way, CNN had a very different take. Millions of people in the U.S. have been infected. At least 20,000 have been hospitalized. More than 1,000 have died said Dr. Thomas Frieden, director of the Center for Disease Control. Amazing how when you want to politicize things. Now, what were the Democrats doing when at the end of December, well, starting on December 5th, Nancy Pelosi decided to, without any reason, proceed with articles of impeachment. The first reported cases of corona were revealed on December 31st, 2019. And as it relates to the president, January 31st, the president declared coronavirus a public health emergency He ordered the quarantines, and that is when he put the travel ban in effect. Never been a president that's acted any quicker. The president's saying it's a hoax, meaning, oh, they're trying to bludgeon him with the virus when, in fact, he did everything humanly possible at record speed and was criticized for it. Anyway, Dr. Mark Siegel is with us, professor of medicine, New York University School of Medicine, medical director of uh, Dr. Radio NYU Sirius XM, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified radiologist, New York City, Fox News contributor as well, author of the book, Make America Healthy Again, How Bad Behavior, Big Government Caused a Trillion-Dollar Crisis. Uh, thank you both for being with us. Dr. Siegel, I, I, I can't think of a single thing that this president didn't do 
in record time. Not one thing. Sean, I, thanks for having us. I, I uh, as you know, have been following Contagions back with you for many years, and I have been an enormous critic in the past of CDC, of sometimes NIH. First of all, I have never seen, as you just outlined, a better handling of an emerging contagion in my life, certainly in the last 20 years since 9-11 that I've been covering it, 19 years. Everything you just said is the reason for it. First of all, he assembled this task force very early on, and Joe Biden is saying that the scientists aren't speaking. Take a check of how many times Tony Fauci's been on TV or uh, on different networks, too, talking about this. He's been on with me numerous times. Yeah, he's been on with you numerous times, and he's been on, and 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 Alex Azar has been on numerous times, and and CDC. So the scientists are speaking, and the president has actually taken his his knowledge and his messages from his task force. He happens to have a CDC director who's an extremely famous, well-regarded virologist. Perfect. Is the, by the way, and, do you remember the timeline? Is that accurate? Is it reported that? A thousand people were dead in the U.S. before they declared an emergency in 2009? That's absolutely right. The only thing they got right in 2009 was that they went into production on the vaccine very quickly, and that's Fauci. So that's that's the one thing. They turned around the vaccine in six months in 2009. But their messaging, and here's the key point, what's the messaging? You know, I think the messaging here has never been better. And what is the role of the president of the United States? He's supposed to put things in perspective. He's not supposed to sable ratter. Sable rattle. He's not saber rattle. He's not supposed to be ahead of the story. He's not to be supposed to be projecting doom and gloom like the World Health Organization, panicking everybody or protecting China's rear end the way that they're doing. The president is supposed to project the message that lets people know what's going on, how concerned they should be. Be. I call him the anti-fear monger in chief, which is the role he's been playing. I think he's been playing it perfectly. I think he's been calm, measured, well informed. Nicole, your take on all of this. You know, hi, by the way, hi, Mark and Sean. I'm so happy to be on with you guys. One thing that I want to mention is that upset me when I heard Biden making those references, the way that the Trump administration has handled this outbreak is he's saying that, oh, well, if he were president, that he would be sending, sending the CDC, sending everyone over to China to have boots on the ground sort of an effort. But let's remember, the CDC tried to get into China in January, and China did not let them in. And when they finally said, you're not coming in, that is when the Trump administration said, you know, what, then we're, we're in placing these travel restrictions, which is largely a cause of why we have a significantly lower amount of cases here in the United States because of that early travel ban. And that was the responsible thing to do if they were not going to allow our scientists to come in and see what is happening with this new virus, then absolutely. What did President Trump do? He took the focus and said, I need to protect our country. It was first observed on December 30th, uh, Dr. Siegel, with scientists in China, with a cluster of patients in the Wuhan uh, province uh, area of China, reported to the World Health Organization. But it was a week later. It wasn't until January 7th until they identified, quote, the new coronavirus uh, and isolating, you know, these particular patients. They, they certainly didn't want the world to know. And three weeks later, the travel ban was put in place. Uh, it's now on the record. We know what the Democrats were doing. They were in the middle of uh, impeaching the president the whole time. And for those that did speak out about it, they were pretty clear. Joe Biden called it xenophobic and said it was wrong. CNN fake news. Uh, they were all over the president for the travel ban. And the Washington Post, they wanted to speculate it was going to become Trump's Katrina. And 
and so on and so forth. Um, I don't. And now other countries have been added: Iran and Italy and South Korea. It seems like the president is doing everything within his power that nobody else would do historically to keep this from the American people, and I applaud him for it. Um, what do you say to the people in this country that are nervous, though? I mean, by the way, rightly so. I don't have any problem with people being nervous. I'm not that particularly individually. I'm not that nervous about it. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to just before I answer that question, I want to say agree with Nicole completely on the CDC trying to get in there. She's absolutely right. The lack of transparency from China has been, been appalling. The suppression, Dr. Lee, the, the physician who discovered it being suppressed, police coming to his house in the middle of the night. Who knows what he actually died of? But with all this going on, the president, by the way, has managed to preserve his relationship with the president of China, which is incredible. He doesn't get he doesn't get credit for any of that. Now, your question, what do people hear? Well, let me just add one about. point to that, because when I interviewed the president for the Super Bowl, Dr. Siegel, I specifically asked, have you spoken to the president of China? Have you offered any? Oh, oh, we've offered everything. But it seemed to me the president did it in a way where he wasn't out to embarrass China. He was looking at it as a public health emergency and all hands on deck moment. And he had already offered and we already have our experts on the ground there. They were already there. And they were dealing with Chinese scientists directly, and, and, and Fauci and others keep saying that. We're dealing with our brethren over there, and they're publishing in American medical journals as well, and the results of the virus were put out online. So China, that's true, and that's largely due to the president's efforts. I think it's the government of China that's been suppressing information, but we have been able to get some. In terms of what this virus is going to do, um, I think there's been a lot of confusion about that. It looks like the numbers are decreasing in China right now. They're decreasing uh, in Singapore right now. It's a very contagious virus, which makes it hard to predict. But we don't really know what the death rate of it is, Sean, because there's so many mild cases that weren't diagnosed. But it looks like what happens is it enters a new country. It starts to have community spread. Public health measures are instituted, especially in countries with as good a public health system as we have. And we manage to get control of it. That's what I think is likely to happen here. I think there's way too much saber rattling and doom and gloom and going to take over the world. Well, and now they're the world trying else. to politicize it and blow the president over it. That's it's, it's typical and it's instantaneous. And that's why the president said it was a hoax. So, by the way, even even fact check, he didn't cut funding for the CDC, he didn't cut funding for NIH, nor did he call the virus a hoax. He said those that are trying to bludgeon him politically, that's just their latest attempt to use anything to hurt him politically. Quick break right back. Mark Siegel, Dr. Nicole Sapphire. And as we continue, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Dr. Mark Siegel with us, obviously talking about this uh, coronavirus and the nature of the threat, the president's handling of all of this. All right. So as this develops, there seems to be some conflicting views as to what the what the path of this will be. For example, there have been other viruses. They tend to slow down in the warm and, and summer months. Um, which is interesting. But then on the other hand, if you compare it to other viruses that seem similar, specifically the MERS virus, it, it didn't show any seasonal variation and actually got worse in June. And it was at its least infectious rate in January. SARS shared a generic uh, genetic components similar to Corona, and it shows some serial vari uh, seasonal variation. It doesn't go away when it gets warm, Dr. Uh, Sapphire. But, you know, you make a good point there. But the truth is, when you're comparing COVID-19 to SARS and MERS, SARS and MERS had death rates of about 
10% and MERS had 30%. And the SARS-CoV-2, which we're seeing with COVID-19, although the truth is we don't necessarily know how dangerous it is, and as we're getting more information every day, it looks like outside of China, the death rate is less than 2% and probably even closer to under 1%. And so when you start hearing people compare this to the 2009 H1N1, which killed a billion cases in six months. The numbers just aren't the same. And then I even keep seeing people that are comparing this to the Spanish flu of 1918, which killed 50 million people in one year. The numbers aren't there when it comes to SARS-CoV-2. And the the other thing is, it is fear-mongering. When you start talking about the Spanish flu. Let's remember the time that that was. We did not have filtrated water. We had people using the streets for restrooms. People didn't even know about washing their hands. So no, this is not going to be the same case. And all this is doing is causing unnecessary angst and causing an economic and emotional turmoil that is unnecessary. Thank you both, Dr. Sapphire, Dr. Mark Siegel. And we'll have you both on Hannity tonight to update everybody. We appreciate your calm, sensible uh, voice uh, amongst a, a sea of madness. Thank you both. 800-941-SHAWN, toll-free number. When we come back, we'll hit the phone straight ahead as we continue. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. All right, let's get to our phone. So tomorrow's Super Tuesday. You have the politicizing, weaponizing of a virus. That is all things hate rage donald trump every second every minute every hour of every day when nobody's ever acted faster than than he did um so we got all that happening let's get to uh randy is in new york randy hi how are you and we're glad you called sir hi sean thanks for taking my call thank you yeah uh i just wanted to touch base on this socialism this whole idea of the socialism it's not going to work for one i'm a truck driver for one and I've been all over this country. People I talk to all the time, even up in upstate New York where we live, up by the Canadian border, the, everyone says the same thing. We don't need it. We don't want anything to be the government run. And this Medicare whole idea of, of Medicaid for all, my wife, um, God bless her soul, she's got a stage four lung cancer. Oh, no, I'm sorry. And, yeah, thank you. You know, and by the way, I will and, say this. A- after the... After Rush made his announcement about this, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of talking to a lot of people. Um, For example, I have two friends that are brain surgeons, and I I hope this gives you some hope and some comfort. Obviously, there are specifics. I will never know the exact cancer, where it metastasized to, if it's stage four, it metastasized. You know, is it surrounding um, organs? It often metastasizes to the brain. But they have what they have been able to do the last five years in terms of advancement, the treatment for advanced lung cancer, even that which has metastasized with immunotherapy and and mitigation and, and longevity and keeping people alive longer has been nothing short of a miracle. And I'm sure you already know right. all of this. Right, yeah. We've been down this road since last year. And uh, the, the problem is this. New York State of Health and, you know, the, the health program that we have, it, it it we're limited, you know. A lot of the bigger places, like the bigger uh, cancer places, don't take the insurance that we we're, we're actually able to afford to get, and they, you can't afford the, a lot of the other things. Just you know that, that really we need. You know, and look, that, that's I, one of the biggest things because it doesn't cover stuff. 
So what you're basically saying is that Bernie's plan for $52 trillion, $30 trillion in Medicare for all and no other options and Bloomberg's plan to send you home, you're sick and you've you've already reached the life expectancy. Go home, be with your family is not going to work like Obamacare didn't work. Look, what you're saying is very real. Um, And this is what really you want to talk about when I was most angry with Republicans is that they were not ready to go with their alternative plan. We, we've now been stuck with Obamacare for 10 years. Almost 40% of the country is stuck with one Obamacare exchange option. Millions lost their doctors, millions lost their plans, and uh, guess what? Uh, everybody pays on average almost 200% more. So it was all a lie. And all these promises of a government job and a government vacation and government healthy food and government retirement and and Medicare for all and the new Green Deal. And we're getting off of the lifeblood of the world's economy, oil and gas. It is all government cannot do it well. They never do. They have botched everything. And, you know, I go back to the principles of Thomas Paine, Common Sense, 1776, where the you know, guides and dictates of one's conscience irresistibly obeyed. There'd be no need for any lawgiver. We wouldn't need governments, but that not being the case, he then concludes government in its best state is but a necessary evil and its worst state an intolerable one. What you're describing, and this is real time, real life, and life and death for you, which is your wife, who you love more than anything in the world, is that it's not working for your family, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. And the way that the, the the economy is doing great. I mean, I actually got we actually got to keep our tax returns without Obamacare and uh, the stipulations of taking it this year. You see, I mean, this is what's really yeah. I mean, so what are you? What are your options? What are you doing? Because I might be able to help you in some way. Where do you live in um, New York? We live in upstate, yeah, up by uh, the Thousand Islands region. There's two areas that I might point you to, and I don't know if you have any contacts. Look, Sloan Kettering, M.D. Anderson, Dana-Farber, you know, these are the big cancer facilities in the country. Um, Sometimes there are experimental drugs and programs that your wife might qualify for. I would urge you to look into all of that. Um, And we we have. And how's it worked out? Um, With the Sloan Kettering is the one down you're talking about in New York City. Sloan Kettering, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. We, we haven't gone to that route yet. She starts radiation next week, and we're going to see how that plays out. And she has a, a really great doctor in her corner now, thank God. That what is the prognosis, if you don't mind me asking, what, well. what are they saying to your wife in terms of realistic expectations for her stage 4 cancer? Right now, it states that it's uh, the last round of chemo. It actually grew just a little bit, and where it is, <clears throat> excuse me, is not, not. It's not in a great spot. It's right in the middle of her lungs. And yeah, but it, but if it's stage radiation. four, it metastasized. Did it go to the brain? Where did it go? No, it stayed. It stayed. It went to the liver. But that that after all the chemo and everything else, that disappeared. It it disappeared in the lung, and it came back. Are they using immunotherapy? They tried that, and it stopped working. And how long has she had had her diagnosis of stage four? Since October of last year. We've been fighting yeah. this. No, listen, I mean, honestly, she, she sounds and like she's responding to treatment, but again, these cancers are tough. I mean, 
You know, but it yeah. depends what variation. Some are, you know, small cell. Look, I don't get into the specifics, but it, some are easier than others to treat. I mean, that's it's just a fact. Is, small cell. Yeah, I think if I recall, I think that's the tougher of the of the options. Um, but they've made a lot of progress. Look, I would yeah. just do this. I would knock on every door. I would talk to every doctor. I would beg and plead and just say, you know, you tell me what I need to do. I don't have insurance that's going to cover this, this, or this. Can you help me? And you'd be right. surprised. I yeah. mean, there I might be that person that takes an interest in just... Most doctors I know, I'm going to tell you something about doctors that I know. Uh, every doctor I know treats people for free. Every single solitary one of them. Every one of them. And they do it because they're not doctors. They never got into being a doctor for money. They did it because th th that's where their, their skill set lies. That's what their calling in life is. And they want to heal. And I can tell you that I've never known one of my friends that's doctors. If I've ever called them about somebody I know that has no insurance and no money that they won't take on as a patient for free, I'll usually offer to help pay. But not, not one time. And I would just urge you, you know, go out there. And one of the things you can do is advocate for your wife and, you know, beg and, and just plead with them and, and do, get on a payment plan, whatever you have to do. You know, downsize everything in your life. And I, I know, you know, what I'm saying to you is easier said than done. Anything we can do to help you, anyone we can put you in touch with, we'll be glad to. Because I'm, right. And I I'm really sorry you're going it, through it. Really it's do. so painful. Well, thank you very much, like I said. And, you know, God bless you all and keep the faith. Hang in there. And, you know, we're praying for your wife, too. Praying. It's not fun. None of this is fun. Thanks for a good call, Randy. We're praying for you and your wife. I am convinced that at some point we are going to look back at the treatments that we used for cancer and heart disease and other disease. And we're going to look at like we were in the dark ages. That This is like the Stone Age. This is Fred Flintstone land. And the reason we're going to evolve into new treatments and cures is because we have so many people with that calling to do medicine and research. And we live in a system of a country where if you come up with a better treatment, you're going to be really wealthy on top of it. So there's an incentive there. And the more that we can free up these pharmaceutical companies and, and get some of the, you know, the, the heavy hand of government off their back and fast track a lot of this technology, the better off I think we're all going to be. Anyway, uh, it's tough, though. I, we all know people that, that are living this way. It's it just it's awful. Uh, Paul in New Hampshire. Paul, how are you? John, thanks for taking my call. Um, I want to thank you for everything you do for us conservatives out here. It, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I just wanted to say that I've been born and raised in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire for 50 years. And when I was born, I had a Democrat rattle and a big blue D tattooed on my forehead. And uh, my entire family's Democrat. Um, they, they don't like my views, my opinions. But New Hampshire as a whole is now now got this this democrat vibe in it and they put democrats in both the senate and the house and we have thank god we have governor sununu who's a great governor 60 yeah, i got to meet him yeah, in new hampshire i'd never known him he's never... really good he's a great guy just a fantastic guy he's down to earth and you know he's doing the right thing we have gun legislation that we haven't had come to the state for ever and uh thankfully he's vetoing the stuff as we go but uh, it's just the Democrats that are in New Hampshire, they don't want Bernie. Uh, my family is very good friends with, you know, we're talking Senate president and the, and the Democrat committee chair in New Hampshire. And they are scared to death of Bernie. And they won't publicly admit it, 
They're going to get behind the Democratic nominee, but they know it's the end of them if that happens. And like you oh. said a hundred times, if they do anything to stiff him in time, those are all those votes that are just going to sit home and do nothing, and they're never going to get them back. I appreciate the call. I will say this, Governor Sununu, when I met him, um, I remember staying over and, and doing Fox and Friends the next day, and he said to me, he thinks he thinks New Hampshire goes Trump. That would be big. Um, I'd like to see Minnesota in play, along with Pennsylvania, along with uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. Uh, I, I can't um, look anything's possible. I just there's a part of me that just wants to remain in mentally in the place where we're we're six points down. It's the two minute drill. We have no timeouts left and we got to cross the plane and hit the extra point to win. And if we look at it and everybody fights that hard in that way, then I think we all win. Because otherwise, this is going to be an unmitigated disaster. They all want to raise your taxes. They're all extremists. They all want to nationalize industry. And they all think government is the answer to all of our problems, and it's not. And it's only going to hurt. We've never had this level of success. Now, you have the downside, the coronavirus, the impact on the economy. I, I think it's short ta- short-lived. And I think Wall Street, always skittish, nervous. That's jittery is the right term. What do I, what did I say weeks before all this? I said... I never used the Wall Street as my barometer. It's a good sign, and I think that we're going to see a nice recovery, bounce back, uh, especially over time when when we get a good handle on this coronavirus, and I think it's all going to be fine. That's my gut, but you take every... Look, we're talking about people's lives. We're talking about people's health. You got to do everything in your power to keep people safe. Uh, Back to our phones, Scott, Ohio. What's up, Scott? We'll be watching your state, the Buckeye State. Very closely in 246 days, sir. All right. So I'm kind of opposite of the last caller because I'm a progressive in rural Ohio. So that means most of my friends and family are Trump supporters. So we have mm-hmm. really good conversations, conversations I definitely don't hear on mainstream media TV. Um, and that's just, I feel like it's sad. Um, you know, I see both sides right now uh, kind of doing what we did in 2016, where, you know, you got rich people on CNN laughing about people's health care. Now, you may not agree with Medicare for all, but, you know, don't mock people that are sick, you know, the caller before the last. Um, you know, any system that could help him and his wife not have to worry about how they're going to pay for it, you know, let's have a conversation about that. Don't laugh at people. Listen, I, I don't know how you laugh at anything, to be very honest here. Um, look, We just got to ask ourselves, what is the better path for the country? For me, it's liberty and freedom, not statism, not communism. You know, look at your choices. You have somebody that praises murdering communist regime and dictators. Okay, option number one, who wants to nationalize all industry, confiscate all wealth. Then you've got the guy that supports death panels, that thinks farmers are dumb with no gray matter, uh, that makes racist comments about, oh, we only put cops in minority neighborhoods. Uh, and has all sorts of harassment issues. And then you got Joe Biden, who is so far gone and out of touch. It's scary to me at this point. Um, I can't yeah. imagine. I can't imagine, you know, where he would take the country's bragging about. We're going to raise your taxes. We're doing this. We're going to double down on Obamacare. I mean, you know, double down on stupid because that's what exactly is going to happen. It's going to end up being a disaster. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right. Listen, want to remind you about our friends at LifeLock.com. There was a data breach at MGM Resorts. Um, by the way, Linda, I don't know if you got the after a data breach letter. I did. 
It's, uh, it's anyway. so scary. I mean, everybody's really vulnerable. We don't even realize it anymore. Yeah, I got it last week, and I'm like, oh, great. Here we go again. Well, that's why we have nothing. Everything's everything's in Hannity World's been compromised a million times. We just give up. We gave up completely. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. All right, we're loaded up. Tonight's monologue on Hannity. We are going to expose just how morally corrupt, how politically driven the mob and the media and all Democrats are in ways that, with information you're going to want to have for your friends. That's all coming up, 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. I promise news and information you will not get anywhere else. So we'll see you tonight at 9. We'll be back here tomorrow. As always, thank you for being with us.